You're listening to a Monster Kid Podcast. <laughs> we interrupt this broadcast to bring you this special message. How's it going, eh? Today's show on the Monster Kid Podcast Network is a classic. Hosted by two comedic geniuses who've watched way too much North American cinema from the 21st century. Mike Pisacano and Anthony Cilio. Entitled Cinemarketing, this podcast chronicles the heroic adventures of two latter-day consumers of film and the marketing surrounding them. Or, to use the correct 20th century terminology, losers. We hope you give it three thumbs up. Welcome to Cinemarketing. The trailers may have lied to you, but we won't. And I am your host, Mike Pisacano, and I am going to be joined today by uh, a special guest. Uh, Anthony couldn't be on this episode today, but I am joined by our special guest here, uh, Nate Lamb of Before the Cyborgs. Nate, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, buddy. Super excited to do this movie. One of my favorites of all time. We are ready to get up and slam down. Do your dance. Here's your chance at the Space Jam. So we're talking about Space Jam 1996 uh, in honor of the new release of uh, Space Jam, A New Legacy, which uh, by the time that this episode goes up, it's probably going to be off HBO Max at this point. But uh, delays and stuff uh, kept it from uh, from coming out in a timely manner. But we're here now to, to get it out. Uh, so I brought you on specifically for this episode because I know that you specifically are a very big fan of uh, Space Jam as a movie. Yeah, 100 mm-hmm. percent. This is the movie that got me into basketball and now I'm a basketball fan. So no, that's a that's a interesting story. I'll, and uh, I'll definitely talk about that. So the movie yeah. was directed by Joe Pitka and he was uh, a, the original director of the original uh, Hair Jordan Nike commercials. And I pr- pretty much should have uh, mentioned this up front that the reason why Space Jam uh, exists as it is is because of a marketing campaign of Michael Jordan playing loon, uh, basketball with the Looney Tunes that were uh, a successful series of commercials uh, that they then decided to capitalize on and then make into a full feature length movie. Uh, and they were directed by Joe Pica and he had directed uh, this uh, this movie. Movie stars Michael Jordan, Wayne Knight, Teresa Randall, Bill Murray, and other NBA players, Charles Barkley, Larry Bird, Patrick Ewing, Muggsy Bogues, Larry Johnson, and Sean Bradley, with the voice cast of Billy West, D. Bradley Baker, Danny DeVito, Bob Bergen, Bill Farmer, June Foray, Maurice LaMarche, and Kath Susie as the new Looney Tune that get introduced for this movie, Lola Bunny. Uh, oh production God, company Warner, Warner Brothers, this is the third uh warner brothers movie that we've done on this show we've had three episodes and they've all been warner brothers movies so far so that's a an interesting bit of uh connectivity i i'll hopefully we could break that at some point there's definitely a lot of other studios like disney and shit that has a lot more movies that like you know were are worthy of talking about i'm sorry if i did i did i rush past anything that you wanted to say no, I just, when you mentioned the Lola Bunny, Lola thing, Bunny. that's a whole can of worms that ooh, we, we can get into. About oh, Lola yeah, Bunny. no, that's certainly a big aspect of this movie's uh, uh, production and even uh, even in some ways in marketing, uh, how they marketed Lola Bunny as a new character and some of the gross ways also. But anyway, so one of the taglines for the movie is called Get Ready to Jam, which that makes sense. Then there's the, the other tagline that says together they just might save the world. It's like. Is that really accurate? Like, is the world at stake in this movie? 
I mean, in theory, the is the world at stake? No, it's more so the world would be without Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes because they would go to Moron Mountain if they had lost the <laughs> game, right? That was the only stakes of the game. Yeah, that's that's all I'm kind of thinking is that like it's not really yeah. the world like because in Space Jam 2, that kind of is like the the stakes is like the the Looney Tunes world will be destroyed and then yeah. like all pretty drastic stakes for a movie about the Looney Tunes playing basketball. Whereas I feel like at least in this movie, like the stakes are 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 low grade and kind of silly enough that like it's not yeah. as dire. The movie was released on November 15th, 1996. And as we mentioned, the movie was a uh, uh, birth. Uh, out of being a series of uh, Nike commercials, first one being called uh, Hair Jordan. We'll take a look at that right now. What's all the racket? What's up? Chuck! I was only kidding. Gruesome, ain't it? Of course, you know, this means war. Jordan and Air Jordan. What'd you expect? Elmer my Nice shot. Nice shot. This floors him every time. <laughs> you who's? <laughs> nice shot. This could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. That's all, folks. That's my line. So, yeah, so this uh, commercial, we see Bugs Bunny and Michael Jordan teaming up to, you know, beat these other bully basketball players in a, in a game of basketball. I think this was a... Uh, and this was a, a very successful thing. It, it, it kind of revitalized, like, the Looney Tunes uh, marketability in, like, a modern-day... Uh, sense because like the Lincolns kind of hadn't really existed in in like a big mainstay pop culture way up until this point. It was one of those things where I think the Looney Tunes, everybody obviously Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny, cultural icon along the same lines of Mickey Mouse, but in terms of their prominence, you're right. Like you, you'd always see those cartoons that they would run, like those melody cartoons back in the day on TV or at least up here in Canada. But they weren't, in terms of, you're right, like relevant in the same way at that time as Disney was, right? Because Disney at the time going through the Disney Renaissance where they were pumping out hit after hit after hit, Lion King, you know, Little Mermaid, so on and so on. And then you kind of felt like WB and by extension, the animation division of uh, Warner Brothers. So the Looney Tunes kind of fell behind in that sense as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And so this is definitely a, a way of trying to find a way to make the looney tunes like relevant to modern mainstay audiences because you're right like those those old cartoons they're fun to like you know go back and revisit a lot of times but like they don't really have like an interconnected like story or anything like that they're all just kind of mm. like a series of shorts of slapstick and they're they're great for what they are but it's like you're trying to find a way to like turn that into like a feature-length movie and i feel like this goes like kind of almost like the muppets route of like trying to make them like a ragtag lovable gang uh, that's trying to like, you know, work together to do mm. something, which is like Bugs Bunny working together with like Yosemite Sam and, and Elmer Fudd and Marvin mm. the Martian. It's like, that doesn't, that doesn't really jive with like what the, the Looney Tunes do in those shorts. I think that was one of the major criticisms of the movie after it came out was like, 
just the fact that I think a lot of critics who had obviously grown up with the Looney Tunes, because critics being older of an older audience, because this movie is marketed towards children and you know younger teenagers of that sense, right? So a lot of the older critics criticized it for being like Bugs Bunny would never call in the help of Michael Jordan because Bugs Bunny doesn't need help from other people to solve his problems. Like he'll find some wacky loony way to do it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I think we brought up, uh, I think it's also not even just that like he would need the help of like an outsider help like Michael Jordan, because that's what he does in this first car, uh, commercial. But I think it's more yeah. of just like him teaming up with these other tunes that are like canonically his antagonists. Right. So then uh, there was a second commercial that was uh, brought out called Aerospace Jordan. And uh, we'll take a look at that one right now. Across the universe, people are asking what fiend would steal Air Jordan? Goody, more Air Jordans for me. Abuto. Isn't that lovely? Yes. Pebble Beach. This is no way for a pamper superstar to travel. What the shoes? And they're all mine. Give me those Air Jordans. No, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, 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 no. Take these or else. That makes me angry. Is this the end of our heroes? Will they splatter on the court below? Uh-uh-uh, Mr. Network says no splattering. Unsplattered air and hair, Jordan. Things seem bleak for our heroes. Wait, a giant pencil with an equally giant eraser. I smell trouble. I smell popcorn. Get your red butter popcorn. popcorn. Get it while it's hot. Get it while it's buttered. Is there a doctor in the house? I'm a doctor. What's up, Doc? It's Bowling for Martians. With Bugs Bunny. Our heroes have made the world safe for truth, justice. And Mike's royalty checks from Nike. That's all, folks. That's my client's line. It says so in my deal. Jeez, what a pig. And so this one is Marvin the Martian steals all the Air Jordans in the world. And then mm. Bugs Bunny and Michael Jordan, like, team up, have, like, a, uh, I guess, a basketball game. And they do, like, cartoony stuff, like the whole, like, it is, it isn't, it is, it isn't. Like, that that type mm. of Bugs Bunny uh, yeah. uh, banner and stuff. It's also an interesting way that, like, the first commercial was Bugs Bunny, a cartoon, like, in a live-action world. And then this one, it's Michael Jordan as the, the one human in, like, a fully uh, animated world. And I think that it's kind of a foreshadowing of like the styles of animation that they're going to be using in the movie, like kind of this Roger Rabbit's mm -hmm. uh, like cross uh, cross uh, contaminating of like live action with animation. Yeah. And uh, going back to what you were saying before about, you know, in this particular commercial, he goes up against Marvin the Martian, who is the villain of the commercial. But then when you switch over to the movie itself, he's. He becomes the referee, which I guess kind of makes sense within that context because he's an alien, but yet he's also a Looney Tune. So it makes sense yeah. that he would be impartial to be the referee. But like, it's like. Yeah, and you know what else bothered me in Space Jam 2? How we don't even have the conflict of we're going up against aliens, so we can't have Marvin the Martian be on the team. In the second one, they still find ways to fuck around with Marvin the Martian. They drop spaceships yeah. on him and he, and they still won't let him be part of the team. And, and as a, honestly, as a big Marvin the Martian fan, like he's honestly yeah. like aside from like Bugs and Daffy who are like, you know, the top tier, 
like yeah. Marvin the Martian's probably my favorite Looney Tune. Me and my brother, whenever we go to Six Flags, we always make it like mm-hmm. our mission to find the Marvin the Martian character and get a picture with him. And so that was like a, a fun uh, thing for us. But then to see like his treatment, not only just in the first movie where it's like, all right, he's the ref, I get it. But like in the second mm-hmm. movie, it's like there's no reason he can't be on the team. Like, why is this big red furry Gagutz guy on the team, but Marvin yeah. Mark can't be? No, it makes like they have Twitty Bird, who honestly doesn't can't do much with a basketball given relative to its size. But I get the joke of that on the team, but yeah, not yeah. Marvin the Martian. Like, come on. Yeah, no. All right. So then uh, this idea was originally brought, was then brought to Ivan Reitman by Nike executives to develop into a film. So this is a thing that was like, yeah, birth by like Nike trying to find a way of making like a Michael Jordan, almost kind of like a Michael Jordan vanity project as a movie and kind of saw this as like the proper outlet because it's the 90s and there were a lot of like sports stars that were like, you know, given like like Shaq and even even like not even sports stars, but like Vanilla Ice in like Cool as Ice or something like that. Yeah. Like we're finding outlets for like celebrities to play themselves in like a big movie, which yeah. I also feel like the LeBron, like casting LeBron in the new one. It it feels like that wasn't really like executives trying to find a way to give LeBron a movie. It's just like, well, we're making Space Jam. It, there needs to be a basketball player in the lead. Well, and this might be skipping ahead a little bit, but, but in terms of making a sequel, they thought about doing sequels that weren't basketball related so there was uh a tony hawk one that they floated around a yep. jackie skate chan jam. one skate jam and a jackie chan one that eventually became the seed for looney tunes back in action yes uh, uh that was the, that movie. was a spy jam it was like oh make yeah. looney tunes into spy and then and a lot of that did get reworked into back in action which i I honestly, I think that back in action is probably the superior uh, version of a, of like a live action Looney Tunes feature. Like, I think that that's kind of the template of like what a, a modern yeah. day live action Looney Tunes movie should be, because it's like all of the characters, they act in character, they act antagonistic towards who they're supposed to be antagonistic towards. Yeah. But they're also still like meta and like they there's yeah. there's still a lot of Warner Brothers like in-house stuff in that movie. Also, like the, the main characters of the movie, the main human characters are like Warner Brothers executives. And that's part of the reason why I think Space Jam 2 didn't really work because because and you could say the same thing about Space Jam in the same way they try to box in Looney Tunes in a mm-hmm. way where you're like you're restricting what they can do and what makes them great. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so this idea, the project was canceled in 93 when Michael Jordan quit basketball. And then they eventually opened up the idea once he returned back to uh, basketball in 95. But I want you to talk about this more because you probably know a lot more of the history Mm -hmm. of like Michael Jordan Mm -hmm. as an athlete and like Mm -hmm. the timeline of like where his career and his life was at this point. So, yeah, you could take over on that part. Right. Okay. so Michael Jordan came into the NBA in 1985, right? He immediately pretty much was identified as a star scored a ton of points but couldn't get over the hump of winning the nba championship until 1991 right where he finally won the championship then he wins three in a row and then they're ready to proclaim him if not the greatest player of all time already one of the greatest players of all time but then at that point in his career he had already pretty much accomplished everything one would want to accomplish in a career NBA career and add to the fact that his father died tragically in a shooting uh, at the end of 1993 I believe or thereabouts which really influenced his decision to then walk away 
and then pursue baseball because it was a promise that he had made to his father in terms of like, one day I'm going to go play baseball. Now, obviously he's not as good at baseball as he is at basketball, but it was something that he wanted to pursue. So he walked away from the game, which is unprecedented for an athlete to do, right? Because at this point he'd come off three championships. He's the best player on the planet. One of the greatest players of all time at the time. So one doesn't simply just walk away, but he did that, right? And I also wanted to ask, because I know that, because um, that is uh, worked into the plot of the movie where he becomes a basketball player. And there's yeah. that opening scene where he's like talking to his dad. And I want to know, like, yeah. was that like, did they specifically, I don't remember if exactly, like, do they mention, like, do they actually in the text of the movie, like bring up that his dad actually died or is it just like inference for the audience who like knows what who knows what Jordan's career and his life was like at that point I don't think it was explicitly mentioned that his dad died but it is something that if you followed Michael Jordan's story up to that point you know that his dad was a major influence on him even pursuing baseball because just simply multi-sport athletes don't really exist on a professional level right except for like Bo Jackson you know, or Deion Sanders, who did that with uh, baseball and football, right? But even that uh, occurs simultaneously, right? They did that because their seasons don't clash in that regard. But for Michael Jordan, when he left, it was like, I'm leaving basketball completely, which was like a shock to the whole world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. So then uh, him returning back to basketball, I want to know what was what was like his um, his thought process and like, why did he uh, eventually return to basketball? Okay, so the reason why he returned to basketball, and this ties into Space Jam too, because when he was filming this movie, they built him an entire complex, which you can see photos of on the Space Jam site of like a court and then a whole entire complex made specifically for him to practice basketball uh, while he was filming the movie. So while he was making this movie, in between takes or whatever, or after, after shoots that day, people would come over and he would play basketball against them. Some of them would be college players. Some of them would be professional players, like the some of the players in the movie uh, would come play against him. And that kind of reignited that fire in him, mm. that love for basketball. And then he was like, and I think part of the reason too is because his baseball career wasn't taking off. Had he become a major leaguer in baseball and become a superstar in the same way he is in basketball, in baseball, I don't know if he would have made the same decision but it was partially because of filming Space Jam and playing basketball again against other people, uh, especially professionals, that reignited this fire for him to come back. So then he comes back at the tail end of the 95 season, which is a year before this movie comes out, and then didn't win it that year, but then... In 96, 97, 98, he wins back to back to back again. So, mm -hmm. so I want to know. So they they were this movie was already in production and going ahead with it even before he like uh, officially returned to the NBA. Yeah, I think he made the decision, which is interesting because they tie it in. They tie in his return at the end of the movie. Right. So I don't understand the complete timeline of it, but mm. because he comes back in 95, like at the end of 95, the season, uh, the end of the 95 season, like just before the playoffs. So that's how they could incorporate it, I think, in like as a last minute, I think, 
because this movie comes out, as you mentioned earlier, in November of 96. Yeah, yeah so that, that certainly, like, uh, you know, clears up a lot of, like, you know, the, the timeline and the real-life incorporation of uh, his progression as, as an athlete and as a person that they, you know, eventually ended up putting in this movie. And then a couple mm-hmm. of other interesting things about, like, you know, the pre-production history is that, like, originally Spike Lee was in talks to help uh, Joe Picca with the script, but apparently WB... Uh, was not pleased with uh, the manner in which he was uh, self-funding uh, Malcolm X. So they had like blocked him out of production, which in in looking up in that, it's like he had like enlisted the help of other black Americans of like Oprah, Bill Cosby, uh, one of which Michael Jordan uh, of a majority of other people to help step up and, um, you know, complete the, the funding of the movie because the movie was like, you know, going over budget and uh, the studio wasn't giving them more money, which at that point it's like, why would the studio hold a grudge against you there? You found ways to fund the movie without having to have the studio fund it for you. I think it really is just like a product of Spike Lee being a very uh, outspoken black man making a movie about like a very fiery, outspoken black man. And they were scared of that. So I feel like that was just intersected in systemic racism. Yeah. I I also think that. I mean, could you imagine if Spike Lee had made this movie? Yeah, you're making a movie about the NBA and you're not having Spike Lee's input. I mean, uh, that, but then it's like, I can understand why they kind of didn't want Spike Lee because it's like, yeah, Spike Lee has done basketball movies. He did. He got game, right? Great movie. Yeah. Um, But also, this is like a lighter movie and Spike Mm -hmm. Lee, even to this day, doesn't do light movies, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And then the only other thing that I have uh, of note is that uh swack hammer who's the the uh, the cartoon uh alien villain played by danny devito was originally planned to be a live action character played by dennis hopper and i'm like can you imagine dennis hopper bringing his bowser from super mario brothers energy to the villain role of this movie oh, i mean that would uh, that, see like that's like people speak about like, i want to see the snyder cut or i want to see the air cut or whatever the fuck the, like the version of this movie with Dennis Hopper as Swackhammer and Spike Lee, whatever his vision for, yeah. for Space Jam is like the ultimate what if that I would. Yeah, where it's like this. This is in a sad predicament where it's like none of that ever ended up even being filmed. So there is no like yeah. a cut that can be released from it. It's just like wishful yeah. thinking. One other thing is that the uh, there's a quote from uh, one of the supervising animators, Neil Boyle, and and they were talking about uh, the animation process for this movie, and he said that. Uh, one thing he heard from Ivan Reitman when they were going ahead with uh, this movie, he said he phoned up Robert Zemeckis uh, about Who Framed Roger Rabbit and asked, uh, do you have any advice on what we should do to make a movie like this? And he said, don't do it. It nearly killed me, which I feel like is is a is a shared sentiment among, among a lot of people who make uh, like even uh, in this movie. That's why it took so long to make a Space Jam sequel was because like the animation process for like the incorporating the live action with animation is really hard and it's really uh time and and uh, budget consuming and, and robbie rabbit uh and even joe joe dante has like similar sentiments about making uh, looney tunes back in action joe dante called making looney tunes back in action the worst experience of his life <laughs> which is sad to think because it's like i really do like these uh this method of like you know the blending of live action and 2d animation and i feel yeah. like because nowadays with the um with with Space Jam too, like I feel like they just kind of for forego that entire process by like yeah. when LeBron's in the cartoon world, he is a cartoon character, and then the Looney mm. Tunes when they're in real life are a CG animation, so they just kind of like you know get around doing all that, yeah. and it's like 
I listen, uh, work on, on animate on animators and, and stuff like yeah. that is hard enough already. So I, I understand the, you know, not wanting to like, you know, increase the, the difficulty level of that, but it, there is a part of me. I'm like, I do like that animation, that, that style of like, you know, crossbreeding live action right. and, and 2d animation. And I would like to see it more, but I, I, I know how, just how difficult that is and how like, and how really kind of not really a fulfilling venture for for studios and f- or for filmmakers to pursue. For me personally, I actually prefer 2D animation to 3D animation, especially in this context. If you look at the uh, 3D animation for the Looney Tunes in the new Space Jam, I think they look fucking weird. Like, And I think that applies too if you uh, look at other things like Detective Pikachu when they tried to make the Pokemon into 3D and then they all look like weird fucking monster, you know, creatures. Yeah, yeah. and I think that cartoons. Yeah, and I think even in uh, in Space Jam Two, like I think that if there's any nice things I could say about the movie, I think that like the segments that are fully animated, I'm like I think that there's a movie that could work here, just like a fully animated Looney Tunes movie. Yeah. And yeah, when they bring them over into live action, it's it almost is like the movie itself saying it's like, don't these characters just look horrible in 3D animation? Because like it's, it's like a like a horror transformation when they're like, you know, being transformed into 3D. And I think it's like, is that like a movie making a meta commentary about like how these 3D uh, 3Dification of 2D characters is horrible? Because they, it's also kind of doing that with like the the algorithm where it's like, oh, we're going to just put LeBron in all these famous Warner Brothers movies. And he's like, no, that's a stupid idea. Like, it's just yeah. it's stupid to like, you know, just like, you know, cross all of these, you know, like famous like IP just for the sake of it. And it's like, that's what the movie itself is doing. So is the movie acknowledging that it's stupid and that it's a bad idea? I, I think you give the movie way too much credit. Like if they had explored those meta contexts, that would have been an actual interesting movie. But what we ended up with and... I guess you can make the same criticism about the original Space Jam. It's just a giant fucking commercial for WB and WB product. But Space Jam 2 is way more egregious about that, obviously, because they go to the different worlds, and then you have this fucking giant basketball game where Pennywise is in the crowd for some reason. And then yeah, the- yeah, you look at the crowd shots in the originals, and it's like, they have other like background Looney Tunes characters in the stands, but it's like, those are characters that like, only like real deep cut Looney Tunes fans would be able to like point out and recognize. Yeah. It's not like, you know, these big IP characters that it's just kind of shoving in your face. And right. that's like, that, uh, that's one of the things I liked about the original Space Jam is that it like, it's contained. Yes. It's selling Looney Tunes, obviously, but it's contained within the Looney Tunes universe. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I will say this because as for as much as we'll, we'll get into what we think about the actual movie itself and I'll, I'll talk about how yeah. I feel about that. But I do think that like, all right, at least with the first one, it, it is just contained to like being specifically about like selling the NBA as a brand, selling Michael Jordan and Looney Tunes. Mm. But like the, the yeah, Space Jam 2 takes it to like a whole extra level of like corporate synergy that just feels completely uh, kind of dystopian in a way where it's like all of these like you know algorithms that are gonna like you know just throw out all of these like characters and things that you recognize just because you recognize them and put them in a context that makes no sense but like you recognize them so uh, there it goes mm-hmm. but anyway all right so uh, let's watch the first trailer for Space Jam when the world's greatest athlete Michael Jordan 
teams up with the world's best-loved cartoon character, Bugs Bunny, you won't believe your eyes. Pardon me, Mr. Jordan. Could I have your auto, auto, uh, your John Hancock? What's going on here? We need your help! You heard of the Dream Team? Well, we're the Mean Team. Ready? Yeah! Done. Yeah. You kick it in here. You go to the hole and dominate. We own defense. Oh, yeah. Whoa. I don't play defense. Warner Brothers presents Jordan. Bunny. Special delivery! Together, they just might save the world. Space Jam. You've never seen anything like it. Yeah, so you see, like, in that trailer, how they really kind of hype up, like, right at the front that, like, this movie is about Bugs Bunny teaming up with Michael Jordan. And that is, like, the main selling point of the movie. And you know what else is weird? Because in the movie itself, during the opening credit sequence, when it shows, like, that highlights reel of Michael Jordan's career, and it's going through, like, the cast names, Bugs Bunny Mm -hmm. is, like, gets billed in the cast. But, like, at that point, you didn't see Bugs Bunny in the movie up until that point. So I always feel like it's kind of weird. Like, if you went into this movie not, uh, like, just watching it, it just seems like a Michael Jordan movie. And then you just see Bugs Bunny in in the credits. And... There was no indication that Bugs Bunny would be anywhere in the movie. And he's also doesn't show up in the movie for the next like 20 minutes after that. So it it, it it does just kind of feel like the movie was marketed as like this Looney Tunes meets Michael Jordan thing. But the movie itself is honestly more a, a Michael Jordan movie that happens to have Looney Tunes in it. I don't know how you feel mm-hmm. about that. It. It is. But you, you got to understand the like the chronological cons. Uh, context of that right in that in 1995 96 when this movie was being produced michael jordan is legitimately the most famous athlete on the planet like think about the way that air jordan sell even to this day he's been retired for 18 years now uh, right air jordan's has eclipsed basketball in a sense that it's a fashion item in that uh, jordan's are a brand that like rappers wear even if you don't like basketball whatsoever right you want to buy a pair of Jordans and wear them, you know, and mm-hmm. it's not, and he, it's not even just his own brand. He also does Hanes and Wheaties and all this other stuff, Gatorade, all this other yeah, stuff. All of the things them. that Wayne Knight uh, name drops in that one segment. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. sure. And I certainly do understand that from a marketing perspective of why that is the case uh, and why you're selling Michael Jordan at the forefront. And it's like a Michael Jordan movie. I just think that, uh, I guess from where I'm coming from, just like as a personal fan, like I, I it's, let's be honest, I'm more of a cartoon, uh, fan than uh, a sports fan. So, uh, yeah. I think just for me watching the movie, it does feel like it's trying to kind of roping in cartoon fans to like watch kind of a generic sports movie for a while. And then like all of a sudden, and then the Looney Tunes are there but even when the Looney Tunes are there, like they don't they're not really like that great. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about like what uh, like how we feel about all that, like when we you know talk more in depthly about the movie uh, right now, I want to get into a couple more of the tie in products. I put a link into uh, a, an article that I found called the weirdest Space Jam memorabilia you can buy now. So I was just looking through uh, this and we're there's obviously McDonald's, uh, which was a big 
selling uh, like a, a marketing. There's a lot of Space Jam toys at McDonald's and stuff like that. Uh, there's these limited collectible uh, French fry uh, boxes that like have like Space Jam artwork and stuff on it. I'm like, I'm imagining buying cardboard on eBay. <laughs> Giant Space Jam fans need to collect everything. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if there's somebody out there who just has a basement full of all this shit. Yeah, if anyone, if you are listening to this and you are the biggest Space Jam fan and you have all the Space Jam merch, hit us up on Twitter. We want to see all of your uh, fam- your Space Jam haul. We have a 32-inch Michael Jordan Toon Squad statue, which is actually this is a very detailed figure uh, of Michael Jordan in Looney Tunes. Uh, I mean, in as as uh, in Space Jam. Then we also got this ceramic piggy bank with uh, Michael Jordan playing that ba- it's like michael jordan dunking a basketball with one of the monsters and then bugs bunny's just kind of like squeezed in there like why is bugs bunny in i'm looking at the photo right now like why is bugs bunny there like yeah it, it looks like, like he doesn't fit in this in this uh figure uh outlet but yeah the, the yeah. just the michael jordan with face to face with the monster i think that that's like a decent look for, especially for this little like uh bank figure thing and then we got like the there's a Space Jam varsity jacket. So all of like the like the Toon Squad jerseys and like the the Hair Jordans and stuff like that, like all of like the the apparel merch for Space Jam. I actually think that like if I if you were like a fan of Space Jam enough that like I think that like the Toon Squad jerseys and like those shoes, like I think that those are like actually and they're and they're very expensive, but I think that they actually do look really nice. And it's like I would if I liked the movie enough, I would actually spend money on them and wear them like in real life. <laughs> It's not even just that. It's like it's become the point where it's vintage. It's considered vintage now, right? So in in a way, in the same way that Stranger Things, uh, a couple years back, brought back the '80s and '80s fashion more popular. Now we're in a, we're in a stage where '90s stuff is popular again. So that, that's why you're seeing the revitalization of old vintagey Space Jam stuff. And even before then, like anytime you release Space Jam uh, Air Jordan colorways because they're limited edition. Anytime you do, they sell like hotcakes and, you know, mm-hmm. people scalp them for 10 times the price on eBay. No, yeah, it's, no, yeah, it's certainly yeah, it is becoming like, you know, a, a hot commodity. Uh, and then we got these, um, the, they had these packaged uh, action figures uh, where it was like you'd get a basketball player and a Looney Tune. So this one right here is Charles Barkley with Wiley Coyote. And they had uh, different variations for all of the other uh, sports stars that show up in this movie where it's like there's a package deal. It's one basketball player and one Looney Tune. And I think it's like that's kind of like a cool uh, like they, especially like, you know, if you're if you're a kid and it's like you get like two toys for like the price of one. But yeah, that's basically the end of all of the uh, this Space Jam merch that I have here. But like there's hundreds of uh, variations of Space Jam merch with all of the with like Looney Tunes, like wearing like Toon Squad uh, jerseys and like all merch and stuff like that. So, yeah, this was like, you know, a big marketing phenomenon, like the movie. It's no surprise that this movie made more in marketing than it did from like its box office hall. I think the amount of tie in things that you can sell, given the entities involved, is insane. So, like, if you can dig into any of the merchandising, like I did a quick eBay search right now just for Space Jam merch. And it's endless. Yeah. And then there's some other things. So there uh, we talk about uh, video game adaptations uh, whenever they do exist. And there was a video game for PlayStation one uh, of Space Jam. It's mostly I didn't play this game. I didn't have any access to it, but it judging by videos that I've looked at it, it basically just kind of looks like an NBA Jam clone. 
mixed in with in between like some really weird like mini games that are not sports related that looked very uh weird and oddly uh, odd to control so I mean, that's the case for a lot of kids games that were like, you know, based off of movies back then, which is why I like digging into them, because they're cheap and bad in a lot of ways. But they're like kind of fun to like remember, even though they were shitty. <laughs> this particular game was after my uh, sorry, before my time. But what I've seen similar to you, it looks decently fun for a kids merchandise tie in game like this is a thing that has unfortunately died out like you don't get the movie tie-in video games anymore which is unfortunate but yeah i wouldn't like to play this one for sure yeah there was they did for space jam 2 they did actually make a space jam a new legacy tie-in game and it was free on xbox uh so i i downloaded it and played it and gave it a shot it's basically just like, you know, a, a standard arcade beat em up, like in the style of like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or the Simpsons yeah. game. Uh, and the only playable characters are LeBron, Bugs and Lola. And it's like, damn, what a disappointing character roster. I'm like, who's going to play? as Le- I mean, uh, listen, I, I, I get like as a, as a sports fan, I'm like, oh, I'll play as LeBron. But it's like, come on, I can't be Daffy. Like, <laughs> yeah. Man. I'm surprised it's not a basketball related game at all. Like in yeah, terms of like it's a beat up beat em up and not a basketball game. Yeah, that's the oddest part of it. It's like, yeah, just make an NBA like I think that the at least the, the PS1 game had the right idea, just like make an NBA jam clone, but just put the Looney Tunes in it. Like that's kind of really all you needed to do. Like I like, yeah, this this whole everything about Space Jam and New Legacy's uh marketing campaign and just creatively is just all wrong. So yeah. Not surprising that they'd mix that up. And then in the lead up to Space Jam and New Legacy's release, uh, one other thing that they did that on Cartoon Network, they had a Teen Titans Go see Space Jam uh, thing where it was the characters from Teen Titans Go doing a live commentary of Space Jam that they aired on Cartoon Network. And there's like a bunch of other like, you know, Teen Titans segments that they aired uh, that are like, you know, interspersed in between them watching the movie, like the nerd Lux come in and like try to take over the Teen Titans. Teen Titans go! See Space Jam! It's as if the Titans are right there watching with you. I, I guess I, I've never I never really watched this uh, Teen Titans show, but I can imagine that like, you know, for kids who like the show, it would be like uh, a, a cute thing for them. And also like, I guess to get them to like, you know, interested in watching Space Jam. And I guess like they did a decent like job at like trying to like, you know, sell it to kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you Wait. see this uh, this Teen Titans go to see Space Jam uh, thing anywhere? I did not see it, but I have seen Teen Titans Go, so I already know the kind of vibe they're going for because it, Teen Titans Go is very self-referential. It like, breaks a lot of fourth walls and makes a lot of pop culture references mm-hmm. outside of the uh, DC context. So I uh, probably already know the vibe they're going for. It's lighter than the original Teen Titans, which is the one that I grew up with. The, old school cartoon network mm-hmm. cartoon but i can i can see why it would be effective in selling the kids because yeah. it is a lot brighter style and they really do i watched like this ad for it and they really do play it up like watch the teen titans as they go see one of the greatest movies ever made it's like all right calm down <laughs> yeah. one of the best movies ever made space jam well now it's time i feel like we can get into the uh, product placement count of this movie so we kind of brought out that this movie is very much like a kind of shameless product for 
the NBA for Nike, Michael Jordan, just as a as a man in his career. And like we said, Space Jam 2, also very equally brazen in how much it's like, a you know, a commercialized product. I just want to bring up a, a line from Wayne Knight in this movie uh, where he says to Michael Jordan, he says, get on your Hanes, lace up your Nikes, grab your Wheaties and your Gatorade and we'll pick up a Big Mac on the way to the ballpark as just a way of like including every piece of like brand recognition that Michael Jordan sponsored uh, just all in one sentence all at once. I think it's like it's ridiculous and it's like, wow, how how fucking shameless and how like, you know, brazen it is in that. But it's like removed far enough from it. It is kind of like a, a funny gag of like just how yeah. much they just shoved into just this one sentence in the movie. All right. That, that's my question, though. Do you think this particular line that you just read off is a paid line or is it did they just want to put in that line as a joke, as in? Yo, Michael, you you're sponsored by so many brands. This is the joke. This is unpaid. Or do you think it was paid? I mean, given how much the NBA and Nike was like specifically involved in the production of this movie, I feel like there's a there's a a manner in which it kind of almost had to be. And I also wonder, are you able to even like make like name drop big name companies and products like that without it being a paid sponsorship? Well, that's that. I don't know, given his ties, but I think there's movies that make jokes about McDonald's <laughs> and shit like that all the time, right? And that's not really... I guess so. Uh, I want to also just bring up... Uh, I have a link here for the original 1996 Space Jam website, which is still operational to this day. And this is the most 90s website design that there is it has just the main page is just the space jam logo and then there's like a bunch of little planets that surround it which are like all of the different aspects of like you know like here's the here's where the games are here's where the the soundtrack is to buy here's where the the uh, the store to buy like the merchandise stuff so a lot of the stuff you can click and it'll show you like what you can go to but a lot of the stuff because it's like such outdated technology a lot of it does not like it needs like some specific flash program in order to support it or it needs like you know something that's like not compatible with modern day computers so it's like you it's there it's like you can click the links and stuff but it's not like you know in its original form as it was in 96 and if you click around enough you'll eventually get to a, a page that literally says well, we have no idea how you got here, but you discovered a now empty page of information. Congratulations. Now, please go somewhere else. Thank you. Yeah, I think I have to wonder. I'm like, do you think that there has to be like some modern day web designer who was like in charge of the Space Jam website? And like these are things that were like included like nowadays after like after knowledge that like the Space Jam website was still like operational. I assume that like it had to have created some sort of like influx of like increased interest in like going to the space jam website so i had to feel like did was some like guy at warner brothers like paid to like you have to update the space jam website and it's like he's just like fucking around and like making jokes i'm sure i mean this is a like you said this is a very 90s website like there's a lot of like gifs and like it's built on like geocities in like the 90s which is a classic platform that you used to build websites on but like i'm sure there was and that's part of the appeal of the legacy of the movie is that this website still exists in its same form as it was 25 years ago, which is incredible because it's like a piece of history that you can explore. Yeah. And you know, what? if you also go to the Space Jam and New Legacy, like because on if you go to SpaceJam.com, it has 
a link to go to the new movies uh, webpage as long as well as the uh, the, the first movies uh, website and the outline that the output that they did for the new Space Jam, like, it's kind of the same where it's like the Space Jam logo in the middle. And then you have like all these planets surrounding it that have like their own little links that you can go to that have all the specific things. And it feels like yeah, they're very much tried to like recapture the feeling of the, the first uh, movies website uh, with this new one. For sure. Because I think it's one of those things that has been kind of iconic, almost as iconic as the movie itself is the website and the other thing we'll talk about next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the soundtrack for this movie, the six times platinum soundtrack for Space Jam, which uh, both you and I own on vinyl. Yeah. Unfortunately, my vinyl doesn't come in until September, so I couldn't bring it and show you guys on this podcast. But I'm eagerly awaiting it because. And this is something I'll ask you. This is, for me, one of the top five soundtracks of all time. Like, the soundtrack just fucking slaps. I can, I, yeah, I can understand that if you really like uh, the this movie, there's a, there's, there's a lot of, like, good deep cut, uh, like, stuff on this uh, soundtrack. There is, of course, the, the epic everybody get up, it's time to slant. That, the, the, the Space Jam titular song, like, unironically, is a banger. And as is, I mean... Say what you will about R. Kelly now, but I did not know that even that that uh, I believe I can fly was for this movie. I didn't know that it was made. I just kind of like like, you know, went through life just knowing that like this song exists, never really knowing that it was made specifically for Space Jam. And speaking on I believe I, I can fly. If you watch the music video, which exists in its full 320 pixel glory on YouTube right now, it is one of the funniest videos. I It's him. He's singing the song. He's in like this autumn field and like it's just like leaves and then there's just random screens of like clips from the movies that play. But he's like so into it and there's a whole fucking orchestra playing the song and it's just it's an incredible music video. But, uh, yeah, and this is yeah, this is back in the day when like, you know, they did like go all out for like movie soundtracks, like making like specific movies. And that's why I feel like that's where we get like at the Oscars, like the best original song category. It's like because a lot of movies were like they had their own original soundtracks. People made songs specifically for the soundtracks. And nowadays you look at like the the Oscar lineups of like the best original songs. And it's like it's usually like a musical or like a, an end credit song. But it's like none of these songs are like integral to the movie a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the soundtrack really sells the vibe of the movie. OK, you open the movie and then you get the R. Kelly. I believe I can fly. You know, and then it's just like, okay, I'm in. You sell, you sold me on his dream. I get it. He wants to sky. He wants to slam. I'm in. You know, yeah. and then you get yeah. the introduction of the Monstars, which comes with one of the best songs. I, Hit him high is just an incredible high, song. High, yeah, yeah, and now that's like the uh, Monstars theme uh, anthem theme song, and like on there, there's Method Man, Buster Rhymes. Hello, Cool J and Coolio, and they just dropped the sickest verses. Like, it's so underrated. Like, if you haven't heard the soundtrack, you have to listen to the soundtrack. It's incredible. Yeah, I own this soundtrack for the specific reason of uh, my my other co-host from my other show, Random Movie Roulette. Uh, one year for my birthday, he bought me, as a joke, he bought me the vinyl for Space Jam. And I never really brought up that i that uh, anything about space jam like i liked it or i didn't or i liked it as a joke like i didn't i think he just like he just bought it for me i just 
I guess just on a whim, just knowing like Mike likes, you know, dumb cartoons and stuff. So this will be like a funny thing. And it, and it was it was so successful as a gift that for the next year for my birthday, he bought me not one, but two copies of the Space Jam soundtrack on CD, which is not as much of a of like, you know, a, a valuable commodity to own, especially like something like the case was like kind of cracked uh, and stuff. But like the vinyl, it actually like it has like the the disc, like the big vinyl thing. And like it's like orange and stuff. And it, and it and inside there's like artwork from like the movie and stuff. And then there's also and I think it's at the end of the movie, too, uh, is the Bugs Bunny uh, buggin. Uh, it's a Bugs Bunny's rap uh, song that he uh, that he, uh, him and other Looney Tunes uh, uh, sing in the and it's the, the last track on the soundtrack. And uh, they at least for this movie had the decency to just include it on the soundtrack and not actually do it in the movie like they did with Porky Pig in Space Jam. Oh, my 2. God, that, that was terrible. That bad portion of the new Space Jam, that was horrible. Yep. Yeah. But All right, so, I know yeah, yeah. For, for a fact on the vinyl, because they re-released the vinyl for Space Jam and Luna Legacy, and that's where I ordered it from. Uh, that's why it's not in yet. But the one that I ordered, I ordered at 35 bucks, and it's already doubled in price before it's even arrived at my house on Amazon. So, yeah, I mean, it looks like you got it for a for a bargain at the uh, getting it uh, ahead of time. Uh, I'm sure Lewis got his for a, a very cheap price at like whatever thrift shop that he ended up buying it at. But yeah, but, hey. but I hope that my copy of the vinyl when it gets here has all the same content as mm-hmm. yours because that sounds awesome. Yeah. All right. So we're going to take a little break right now. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the legacy of Space Jam 1 after its release. And we're going to talk more in depthly about our opinions of the movie and how it tackles certain things. Uh, so we'll be right back with that in just a second. These aliens are killing us. We need some help. Right away, your airness. McDonald's! Behold. Now only at McDonald's. Collect these fun Looney Tunes stuffed characters from the new movie Space Jam. Just $2.99 each with the purchase of a new deluxe or any other large sandwich. Way to go, Dandy. How about we go out and kick some alien butt? Space Jam at McDonald's. Come hungry. Leave stuffed. From Dole comes an incredible free Space Jam street ball offer, good with the purchase of selected Dole products. A national march FSI reaching 50 million homes will spread the word, along with stickers on 200 million Dole bananas. And if that weren't enough, Rayovac offers a Meet Mike contest with a $4 Rayovac products coupon insert, promoted via a USA Today ad and in-store displays. Didn't you forget something? Finally, inside each Space Jam video box is a commemorative collectible Space Jam coin, as well as a $5 mail-in rebate with the additional purchase of any one of 30 Warner Brothers Family Entertainment titles. You guys are nuts. Space Jam will be a sell-through slam dunk with a higher purchase intent than the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Twister, Casper, Jumanji, and the Nutty Professor. A 90-day national pay-per-view window means your sales will be jamming. And with the help of some Monstar merchandisers. 
and a colorful assortment of in-store P.O.P. I believe wet myself. Everybody's gonna want to be like Mike. Ready? So get ready to jam this spring when Warner Brothers presents Jordan. Bucks. Bunny. Special delivery! Together, they just might save the world. Space Jam. And we're back with Space Jam. Uh, now the movie has been released. So I want to know, actually, um, we, I know that you love this movie and you you know, talk about how how much it like, you know, it influenced you to like, you know, become a basketball fan and, and all this stuff. But I want to know, like, at what age, like, when did you first discover this movie? Because I had never really watched this as a kid. It never really came across my attention. I I kind of discovered it maybe like in my like early 20s and stuff as when I first like watched it for the first time. So that's probably also why I don't have like any sort of like nostalgia for it or anything like that. But I want to know, like, when was what was your first experience with Space Jam as a movie? Okay, my first experience with Space Jam as a movie, I I didn't even watch it at this point was when I was like four or five years old, because I'm a little bit older than you, Mike. But Mm -hmm. when I was four or five years old, I remember getting the McDonald's toys and stuff, but I hadn't seen the movie yet at that point. The first time I actually saw the movie was on my first ever date ever, actually. I was 11. So this was seven years after the movie had come out so this was uh we were just watching it and it was it wasn't even a date that i wanted to go on to be fair it was like my friend was like yo i want to go on a date with this other girl but she needs to bring her friend can you come with me we're gonna go watch twister so it was a double twist it was a double feature of twister followed by space jam which is the weirdest double feature you can get but whatever I was in the hospital at the time. Uh, oh. uh, we were long-term at the hospital, recovering from surgery at the time. But uh, yeah, that was my first date ever. Also, at the end of the movie, when <laughs> Bugs does the heroic save thing uh, on Lola from getting body slammed, because that happens in a basketball game at the end, at the at the climax of that movie, mm-hmm. that's when I got my first kiss. Oh my God! That, what a what a story! I, I, what a scoop that I got for this uh, by having you on this episode. <laughs> okay, so this is why. Like, okay, full disclosure: I understand why people don't think this is a great movie. And if I'm looking at it objectively, yes, this movie is not that great. But but because of this experience, that was monumental because everybody remembers their first date and you know their first kiss and all these like milestone moments of your life right i got all of that in a double feature of twister and space jam so it's like after recovering from surgery and scoring your yeah that's that no that that is quite a story i i wish i had any sort of interesting uh comparable story uh as a first date uh to compete with but but yeah no so that's that's why I, I, I personally love this movie. But like, again, I completely get why people are like, yo, fuck this movie. Just selling uh, commercials and whatever. But like oh, yeah. that and then the basketball aspect is just like, OK, I'm in now. No, yeah. So that's that. that is certainly a very specific personal connection uh, to have with the movie. And uh, I, I really do. I do love that story and I do love that that's that you have that connection to the movie. Um, I think that for me, it is one of those movies where like I did kind of come to it more from like an adult's uh, viewing mind. I think I watched this in like a double feature. It was like Roger Rabbit and then like this. We're watch, watching like, you know, movies where like, you know, 2D animated 
uh, characters cross over with live action and watching Roger Rabbit with this back to back is like it's almost like a, it's almost like unfair. Like it's almost insulting to like compete with Roger Rabbit in this uh, capacity because the seeing just how seamless like the 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 2D animated characters cross over with the live action world like even like the minuscule things like how the, the 2D characters like interact with like you know physical objects like how the weasels are like holding their guns and the the guns are real and they're like propped up on strings and they had to like draw the weasels like around the guns and it's like how difficult of a rigging and uh and something that that could have been you could have just had them have like cartoon guns but uh yeah like with that and stuff and then seeing and when eddie valiant goes into toon world and seeing like how like the human interacts with like a fully 2d environment and then when you see how michael jordan and bugs bunny interact when michael jordan goes into the space jam world it's like I think that for what it's worth, like the 2D animated segments of Space Jam are like they're they're pretty decent. Like they're not like the best that the Looney Tunes have ever looked. But like when Michael Jordan goes in there, it's like you can kind of see like the green screen. And it's also where you see like his acting kind of falter because it's like, yeah, Michael Jordan, he's a sports star. He's not an actor first. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of like, you know, professional actors who have struggled with acting against complete green screen like with you know the, the star wars prequels and like any stuff like that where characters where actors just look confused like they don't know where to look and they don't know what they're supposed to be looking at so when you see michael jordan in this movie when he's in like the looney tunes world and he has to act against nothing like that would be a challenge for any professional actor but like because it's michael jordan if you really do see through like how like how his acting ability how it's like really kind of not up to par with like where it should be for sure, but I also think that if you were to compare him to other athletes, because it's unfair to compare him to actors in that sense, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you compare to other athletes turned actors, I don't think he's that bad, you know? And I think that it helps in this movie that he's supplemented by actual actors, whereas LeBron, yes, I guess his wife shows up for a couple lines there, but is relatively insignificant, and obviously Don Cheadle is in the movie. Uh, for Space Jam 2, but for the original Space Jam, he's supplemented by Bill Murray, who, you know, is a comedic superstar. And, you know, Wayne Knight, say what you want about him and you know, I will, Kramer and all that. Yeah. I will say nothing negative about Wayne Knight. I adore that man, and he's a comedic genius. He's he's my profile picture on Discord, for heaven's sake. <laughs> yeah, but, like, at least there's that to help him kind of steer away from Michael Jordan's subpar performance as an actor Mm -hmm. in that there's other people to help him. Yeah, I even think that uh, some of the other basketball players in this movie, like Larry Bird and Charles Barkley, I think that they're at least a little bit more convincing than Jordan is. Because Barkley has that great scene where he's going and he plays basketball against the girls and he just gets, because he doesn't have his powers, uh, he just gets dominated by uh, like four or five girls uh, on, on the street, on the court. And then he's like, the girl kind of calls him out and he's like, you're a phony, be gone. And he's yeah. all dejected and stuff. And then there's also that great scene with Barkley in the church where he's like, he's praying to God, trying to get his powers back. And he, uh, there's just mm-hmm. a great delivery and like, I'll stop dating Madonna or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I want to know, like, uh, aside from Michael Jordan, I want to know, like, how much of a sports, how much of a fan are you of the other sports uh, stars that show up in this movie? 
I think that that's a huge part of it too, is they chose specifically these five players for a reason, right? So Muggsy Bogues, he, he's not really a superstar within superstar context. He's a good player, but they chose him because he's five foot three, right? And if you think about it, five foot three is shorter than most regular people, let alone a professional basketball player, right? So it makes him unique. It makes him recognizable as somebody you can sell, right? So as a kid watching this, it's like, holy shit, a guy who's the same height as me is playing in the NBA. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, and also yeah, and it also uh helps for when they turn into the monsters that like you have different uh character models to contrast against each other when you have like one who's like significantly smaller than the other. Yeah. And then for the other guy, like uh uh Sean Bradley, he's not he's considered a bust by NBA standards. Like he's not a good player at all, but he's super tall. He's like seven foot four. So again, similar thing to Muggsy in that you have a super tall guy, you have a super short guy. And like, even though they're not the best actors by any means, those two, they're recognizable in that sense. And then if you're not a fan of the NBA, it's like, hey, I know Muggsy Bogues because he's a really short guy. Or I know Sean Bradley because he's a really tall guy. And then mm-hmm. you have the other guys. So uh, Patrick Ewing being a New York guy, you probably know this, but he's the star of the Knicks for a decade plus, you know? And so he plays in the biggest market in the, one of the biggest markets in the United States. So obviously that's helped sell the movie that way. And Charles Barkley, just big personality, you know, he dates celebrities. He, you know, is on TV and does things like that. So that's why he's in the game. He's in the movie. And then the last guy, Larry Johnson, he's famous because his nickname is Grandmama, because one time in a dunk contest, he dressed up as a grandma and then dunked the basketball in a very gimmicky way. So I think that's the reason why they chose him. Right? Yeah, and I think that they were a lot more, they were a lot more strategic with like the placement of uh, the athletes that they chose to be in this movie, as opposed to like in Space Jam 2, where like, I can't even name another basketball player that was in that movie other than, Le- than LeBron. And it's like, I could tell that like, these are clearly real athletes, but like, they don't, they don't really play that much of an important role in the story. And then when they become the goon squad, it's like, they, they just kind of feel like just generic bad guys. It's like a fire villain, a snake villain, water villain. It's like they don't really have any sort of like like they have the stink powers, but like they don't feel like a unit. Whereas like at least like the monsters, even though they they're just like big, muscly, different colored monsters and they kind of all look the same. But it's like you at least like, you you know, like why they are who they are and like how they become that mm. like how they go from being nerd lux to taking the powers of the nba players to becoming the monsters like they have like a core team unit that like you could at least yeah. get behind as like the villains of the movie i think that's one of the biggest flaws in space jam 2 is that they don't establish those characters uh, i mean uh, in terms of like the goon squad or the monsters because in space jam 1 they spend significant amount of time with the other athletes in terms of establishing first of all who the villains are and what they're about and their backstory whereas in space jam 2 it's just like oh this kid made a video game and you know yeah these these are are, video game characters yeah yeah and at least in the first movie like they established like there is at least an in-plot reason for why it needs to be a basketball game like when the nerd show up to the looney tunes world to try to like enslave them bugs bunny in like you know his classic trickster ways 
thinks is like, all right, well, in order for you to take over our planet, you have to beat us in a game of basketball. And he picks basketball because like they're they're tiny guys. They can't play basketball. So there's like, oh, we're clearly going to win. And then that's why they have to become like the they steal the powers of the NBA players. So that way they could beat them in the game. And it's like there's a, at least an in plot reason for why this needs to be a basketball movie. And in Space Jam 2, like they didn't even do that. It was just like, and we're going to play basketball. And it's like, but why? Well, because the first movie was a basketball movie. Yeah. And yeah, there's a ton of plot holes. The second one, it's like if you had the powers to change the outcome of the game, why didn't you just do that the whole game when you, you know, but it's like, yeah. And, okay. also, and the points don't matter. It's like, oh, we get like plus 50 style points. It's like, what does that mean? And, and, and especially like if you're like a basketball fan, like in Space Jam 1, like you can at least keep up with like, you know, like I, I've seen like breakdowns of like, you know, like the 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 scores and like the the roster for like the space jam one game like who had like the mvp and like who made the most baskets and stuff because it's like it's tangible enough you could like keep track of that whereas in space jam 2 it's like oh it's a thousand points it's like you made like like 500 points just on like one move alone just because like the plot said to right and uh, that's why i think this movie is more Space Jam 1 is just more grounded. Like, it's a wacky movie. They shoot guns. Like, there's a Men in Black reference at one point, you know, and they do a lot of... It's, now, see, is that Men in Black or is that Pulp Fiction? Right, it is Pulp Fiction. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. I don't even think Men in Black had come out at this point. When did Men in Black come out? Men in Black, I think, was 97, so it might have been the year after this. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Sorry, I got my Warner Brothers property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up. Yeah, and you know what else? Uh, it, it makes sense for why they specifically have to recruit Michael Jordan in the movie because at this point he was a baseball player. So the nerd Lux didn't take his mm -hmm. powers because he wasn't a basketball player. So that then that's why the Looney Tunes recruit Michael Jordan. Mm, for sure. And I like how they weaved in the real life context too, right? That that's how that worked. Whereas it's kind of like, okay, we're just going to throw LeBron in this game, in this server verse, because we want to throw LeBron in this, server burst like there's no point to it other than like okay lebron's a bad dad yeah yeah and there's also the, when when uh when the execs at warner brothers like recruit lebron to like be in their movie it's like we need someone who has like the biggest social media platform in the world and it's like you're going to lebron james it's like you're not going to go to like ninja like yeah <laughs> it does, I, that, yeah, that aspect didn't make sense of the movie it felt yeah, like a yeah. lot of things that no, yeah, a lot of well, like just people who don't, who don't understand how the internet works. Right. But, but yeah. Um, let me let me ask you this, Mike. What do you think of the original Space Jam then, given that oh, you came going, into it later in life? Oh, we're going, uh, we're asking this uh, about it. What, are we an hour into the show? We're asking what I think of the movie already. Okay, so here's how I feel about the movie. I, I think I've said that, like, I think that, I at least appreciate because you're able to bring up like all of these like deep cut like why specific NBA players are in this and it weaving in specific things about Michael Jordan's career into this movie and I feel like this movie is very rewarding for like people who are uh big like basketball fans because it like works in a lot of like you know the ins and outs of like the NBA at the time in the 90s but I think that for me because I'm not as much of a basketball fan I don't really know that much about like these players and like stuff like that it's not like, you know, crucial a movie. And if you don't understand it, you're not going to get it. I just think that like there is that there is a lessened uh, effect that it has from like an outsider. And especially like if I'm going to the movie as like 
let me watch like a cartoon or like a, an animated movie, like, you know, in real life. I feel like a lot of the the cartoon like aspects of the movie, like the the fun animated stuff. I feel like a lot of that kind of does fall flat because the movie doesn't get to Looney Tunes for like at least like 20 minutes. And it feels like it is a very like a generic sports movie that just happens to have like Looney Tunes that show up at a certain point. But but and when they do, they are out of character. And it's like they're also like the voice cast for uh, the Looney Tunes. Like, I think that like a lot of them are, you know, they're doing good jobs. But like Billy West as Bugs Bunny. I don't really know if he really fits uh, the the character. And there's a specific point, I think it was even in the trailer when Bugs Bunny does that like big scream to Michael Jordan. He's like, we need your help. It's like that that felt more like Stimpy and not like Bugs Bunny. And you can really see the uh, like Billy West characterisms like come through in that. And I'm like, I don't really know if like the the Looney Tunes as characters were really like captured as well uh, in this movie. And then we have Lola Bunny who we, we foreshadowed early on, but like they had to invent a female Looney Tune character because there really aren't any female Looney Tunes. Like they've tried many a times to like pass off Tweety as like the girl character, but Tweety is a male character that just kind of looks cute and you could put them on like pink merchandise and it could be sold as like girl merch. But like they brought in Lola to be like the girl, the girl power character. And a lot of the movie, like, it is it is very much from that Roger Rabbit, uh, Jessica Rabbit era of like hubba hubba, like big honking cartoon character. And it's like this is an anthropomorphic bunny who is, I think, underage. And it's like, I don't I don't know how I feel about like how overly sexualized Lola Bunny as a character is in this movie. And also because it's voiced by Kat Susie and the voice that is used for Lola Bunny very much just sounds like Lil from Rugrats. And I'm like, that is a baby voice. I uh, it, it's very <laughs> uncomfortable. I have never made that connection before, but I think that might change the way I watch this Space Jam now on the, the Rugrats connection. There. Yeah, but it's one of those things where, where like when you watch Space Jam and Lola Bunny, it's like even the opening scene of her introduction is not like oh, I'm good at basketball. It's like a slow motion scene where she's walking in and they're playing like seductive porno music kind of. And it's like, yeah, that's the, that's the other thing is that I feel like they because the story reason for why you would bring Lola Bunny into this movie is because she's the best player out of any of them. Like the, these Looney Tunes are a bunch of wacky characters and they don't have their shit together. But Lola Bunny is like a, a good basketball player and she can whip them into shape and stuff. And she doesn't really do that. She comes in, she she acts seductively towards bugs and then makes one basket. And then that communicates to us that she's a good basketball player. But there's never like a training montage or anything of her like training the Looney Tunes or whipping them into shape. It's just like once we get through that, the game just kind of starts like halfway through the movie. The, yeah. And this is the other aspect of the movie that I want to bring up is that like I feel like the movie is missing like the second act. Like it's there's a first act setup of Michael Jordan and and his life and his career. And there's a setup for the 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 nerd Lux and Swackhammer and why they are going after the Looney Tunes. And then there's like the climax, the third act, which is the basketball game. But like in between, it's like it feels like it rushes through like a lot of like, you know, the the mid movie like training stuff and like, you know, the point where they need to like, you know, work together as a team. There's kind of that with like the Michael Jordan special stuff. Where like that feels like it's kind of like, you know, the the second act lowest point moment where they need to like pick themselves back up and like go win the game. But yeah, like 
a major I forgot how much of the movie is just the basketball game. Like it starts like at I think at like exactly 45 minutes into the movie. Because I think that's what people want to see is the basketball game, though. They don't they don't want to see, but I agree with your point in that they could have done like a two-minute musical montage similar to like Rocky, how he does the training in like mm-hmm. two minutes over Eye of the Tiger, or like you know, when Milan does the I'll make a man out of you and then suddenly turns from you know the zero to hero kind of thing yeah and we got a bunch of like banging soundtrack songs we could have had one of those songs over like a montage of like them training and like you know that could have been like the iconic scene for that song or something like that yeah for sure for yeah. sure but like i think the secret stuff thing and like we can talk about this as to like whether or not that's that was like just generic like sports and like speak where it's like believe in yourself it's been in you the whole time kind of bullshit where it's like mm-hmm. okay but yeah it's also they kind of do that same thing in space jam 2 where it's like oh we they gotta act like cartoon characters and then they do a bunch of wacky cartoon stuff and then that's how they start winning yeah and i think that's like the best part though is because you get to see looney tunes act like looney tunes in terms of what they you know do on the court and like you see like Wiley Coyote will do the dynamite thing, you know, which he's famous for. Or like you'll see Pepe Le Pew is in the first one, but not he got canceled for the second yeah. one. But he is in the first one and he does his his move there as well, you know. And then you got Yosemite Sam doing his gun thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like that's another thing, at least in the first movie, is that like it at least gives every Looney Tune character like a signature moment to like shine. Whereas I feel like in the second movie they don't really do that like it's all it's way too lebron focused and there's mm. not enough of like the other characters like they they give all of the looney tunes like a signature moment like during that big warner brothers like cross dimensional segment where they're like running through other movies but like during the game itself like you don't really see a lot like like there's Wiley Coyote doing like you know the multiplier move and then like Granny gets like a moment to like you know hit the ball and make a basket or something like that but uh, a lot of the other Looney Tunes characters feel like they just kind of get lost Daffy doesn't even get to fucking play the game he has to sit on the sideline why why is he the coach it doesn't make sense like yeah like how if there's any character who is less qualified to be a manager or coach or leader in any capacity it's Daffy Duck he For even sure. gets booed when he comes out. Uh, he he gets booed when he comes out in the first movie, and that that's one of my favorite jokes in the movie is that he you know just doesn't get the respect by anybody. He just yeah, it's a moment where that also that is at least it feels like it it understands like the the dynamics of the Looney Tunes cast where it's like Daffy Duck yeah. is like the pathetic loser who nobody likes, and it's like that feels like the one moment where they kind of got that idea. Whereas like in the second mm-hmm. movie, it's like. Why is he Superman? Like, would he? Right. All right. So let's move on to the, uh, yeah. Sorry. to the critical no, reception of the movie. The movie on Rotten Tomatoes uh, received a 45% from critics, 78 reviews, where 35 fresh and 43 rotten. Critical consensus reads, while it's no slam dunk, Space Jam's silly Looney Tunes laden slapstick and vivid animation will leave younger viewers satisfied, though accompanying adults may be more annoyed than entertained. I have a feeling that you don't agree with this uh, byline. I mean, it it depends on what perspective you're looking at it from. Like, if I was watching this movie for the first time today, I might gravitate towards that opinion, you know? Yeah, 
yeah, I think that we've we've talked about like our differing opinions. Whereas like you who watched it as a kid and have a very specific uh, connected memory to it, and you still have like that nostalgia for it. Whereas like me, I kind of came to it later in life and I just kind of saw through it for what it kind of was. And yeah. yeah, I guess viewing it in more of like a like adult critical mind, where it just kind of yeah, you don't really have that same magic. The and then on Metacritic where it had a 59 overall score with 12 positive reviews, eight mixed ones and two negatives. And this is a thing we like to do where we highlight the highest review and the lowest review. And the best review comes to us from Mr. Roger Ebert himself. Space Jam is a happy marriage of good ideas. Three films for the price of one, giving us comic treatment of the career adventures of Michael Jordan crossed with a Looney Tunes cartoon and some showbiz warfare. And I feel like say what you will about Roger Ebert, but like, I at least think that like he knew how to have fun with these kinds of movies. Mm, for sure. I think he also kind of understood that this is marketed towards children of today, not the people who grew up with the Looney Tunes, you know, 20, 30 years ago in the same yeah, which way I- that Space Jam in the same way that Space Jam 2 isn't marketed towards people like me, you know, who are approaching their 30s. It's more so towards the kids of today who are into the whole video game thing and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, and I think that that contrasts with our worst review, which comes to us from Rene Rodriguez of the Miami Herald. The saddest part about this whole affair is that it took Bugs and Company 60 years to make their feature debut, and this is what they get. At one point, Daffy Duck is discussing merchandising royalties and says, we got to get new agents, we're getting screwed. In Space Jam, even the cartoons are only in it for the money. And I got to say, in this context... If, you know, I feel like Daffy Duck, he is entitled to his uh, to his uh, compensation for his work. So I feel like this is a little bit unfair towards Daffy Duck, uh, towards uh, their his uh, placement of his image and his brand. I think that he deserves to be compensated and paid for what he is uh, being paid to do. So I feel like uh, he is in no in no wrong. And I and uh, Duck Workers Rights uh, is all I got to say on that one. Oh, 100%. And speaking of that, they take so many pop shots at Disney throughout this movie that you don't recognize as a kid watching this, where it's where there's like one throwaway line where he's like, you know, we should name the team the Ducks. But then it's like, who would name the team the Ducks, which is obvi- an obvious shot at the Mighty Ducks, which was the big Disney movie at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, these are things that you just don't take away when you're watching it as a kid. But it's like, oh, I see what they were going for there. Yeah, no, no. But I also I want to go back to what you said about like how this how Space Jam, this one is specifically like it is for it was for the kids of the 90s and it wasn't really for like, you know, the fans of the original Looney Tunes and how like Space Jam 2 is more for like a fan for like kids today and not really for like the fans of the original Space Jam. I feel like Space Jam 2 very much does coast on like trying to be like uh, this nostalgia piece for like you know, 90s kids and millennials who grew up liking Space Jam, which is why there's so many like references to adult movies like Mad Max and The Matrix and Casablanca, where it's like, that's not really for kids today. Like, and I feel like Mm. for kids today, like there's not really any capacity where Looney Tunes are popular. So it's not even like kids really. I feel like there's not really an an outlet for kids to like discover Looney Tunes anymore. So I feel like I don't even know how much it was for like kids now. And it, it feels more so as like, targeted towards us but it just kind of failed that's that's fair too i think looney tunes now they exist like if you want to watch good looney tunes now like that tv show that they have going on i think on cartoon network down in the states is actually half decent like it's not it's not bad at all and like it reframes lola bunny in a way 
where it's not sexualized in the same way mm. that it's it it is in Space Jam. It's more yeah, that and, she's kind of crazy. Yeah, and I'll give and I'll give him credit that at least in Space Jam two, they they also didn't uh, rely heavily on like sexualizing Lola, Lola Bunny. But I guess just yeah, but in contrast, the what they ended so up doing mad before, about that though. Yeah, but just to, like you know, I guess in, in placement of doing that, they did nothing really with Lola Bunny as a character. They just kind of made her like a generic girl boss who's in Wonder Woman and like you know yeah. is competent, but like she never does anything funny. And then they got her to get be voiced by Zendaya, who is a yeah. Disney star and supposedly recognizable by the kids today to sell yeah. the movie. But I don't which know, which is also weird that she's that the only like voice character who is like you know a, a bit an actual like not really like a designated voice actor well because uh, i believe suchi had recorded all her lines for Lola bunny for space jam 2 but then they axed her and replaced her with zendaya is is what i've heard wow that sounds that that's really shady i feel bad for kat Susi on that road she originated this iconic character not really but like you know she she did all of her lines and then like, you know, they didn't even use it and, and they replaced it with Zendaya who like, oh, Zendaya is great on like Euphoria and Malcolm and Marie like gives good performances and she's a good actress. But like she, in Space Jam, like as Lola Bunny, like she doesn't really she doesn't bring anything to it. It's like, why would you? It's just like this kind of like backwards mindset where it's like we got to get like big name actors to voice these characters for the adults. But it's like you're really missing the point of like why why celebrity voice actors work and, and the capacity in which they work. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things where, like you said, it's for the marketing, right? It's just, you know, we put the name in and people will see Zendaya's in this movie. I'm going to go see this movie because I like Zendaya and all those things you mentioned, like Euphoria yeah. or uh, I don't know for the kids. They like her. Yeah, yeah. Disney oh God. Stuff. My 10 year old loves Euphoria. That <laughs> Yeah. So the movie <laughs> uh, on its opening weekend, it made, 27 million dollars on its opening weekend and it opened to uh it opened at number one on its opening weekend uh but it's uh its competition was uh, a little scarce because so space jam opened uh against a movie called the mirror has two faces which is like uh, a barbara streisand movie so it's like yeah this and also around thanksgiving it's like oh yeah this seems like you know an easy number one for that weekend for kids and stuff to go see like a movie around like the Thanksgiving holiday. And so then, yeah, it made 27 million opening weekend. It's total domestic gross was $90 million total worldwide gross, $230 million. And it was ultimately the number 18th highest grossing movie, uh, in, in, uh, the United States in, in, uh, in North America in 1996. And then as far as post-release, uh, marketing goes, the awards run for this movie, you know, no Oscars. I can't believe that uh, actually that I believe I can fly actually didn't get nominated for a uh, best original song Oscar because it won the Grammy for uh, I think for best song from a movie. So it seems a little odd that that didn't uh, end up transferring over. I'm trying to figure out who was the I'm looking up who were the nominees for 97 <laughs> best original song real quick. Just I think to it see what what we were up against there. Let me. Yeah, I don't think there was okay. a big. Uh, I mean, there was, uh, I think the big Disney movie at this point was Hunchback of Notre Dame, which I think Hunchback of Notre Dame is, is a great movie and the, and the music in that is uh, amazing, but, you know, it's not as it's not as widely popular or accessible. So I feel like it probably wasn't like, you know, as much of a of a player in this category. Like, 
I can't really imagine like any of the songs from right. Hunchback like being played on the radio or becoming like a big hit in that way. I mean, I'm looking at the list of uh, best original song winner for that year that it would have been eligible. And the winner was You Must Love Me from uh, Evita, which I haven't even heard of. Yeah, Evita. I mean, it's a Broadway musical adaptation. And I think it was, I think, was Elton John involved in that movie or was it? Uh, eh, never mind. But yeah, so that's, that's that. Uh, Home Media Release uh, Space Jam was released on VHS, DVD, and Laserdisc on March 11th, 1997. And there was a Blu ray released uh, on November 16th, 2016, for its 20th year anniversary. And on the DVD, uh, there was this is a a a a running thing. I need I think we need to keep a track of how many movies we do where there is a commentary track by one of the cartoon characters in the movie, because with Kangaroo Jack, where they had the Kangaroo Jack commentary uh, and Kangaroo Jack as a character did commentary over the movie. This one, we have Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck doing the commentary with Joe Pitka, the director of the movie. And it's like and and it's not like Kangaroo Jack where they just did like, you know, a couple of scenes. This one is like apparently the whole movie that Bugs Bunny and Daffy Dunk commentate over. And then Joe Pitka is also I think I've from what I've heard of it, it's like there's a, specific animated segments where like Joe Pitka will come in and like give like actual real life filmmaking input. And then it'll cut back to Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck just like making jokes and like being cartoony and stuff like that. But it's like I think that that that's, kind of like, that's a creative idea. Like that's kind of funny for like i guess if you if you like that idea I, I can imagine it getting old after like a minute but i don't know man i want to watch this again with with that commentary that i guess i've never seen it with that commentary that you just mentioned yeah that no that that does sound like it would be like a a, a funny idea i mean uh and then there was a 4k released on uh july 6th of 2021 to coincide with the release of space jam a new legacy which is basically just all the same features as the the DVD and the Blu-ray. Nothing really new added. Um, but yeah, that's basically uh, as far as uh, what we've got covered. I think that that's uh, that's all we got for Space Jam. Do you have any closing thoughts? Is there anything else that you'd like to bring up about this movie that you didn't get to? Nah, other than if you haven't listened to the soundtrack, you have to listen to the soundtrack because the soundtrack is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we certainly we listened to the soundtrack on vinyl, uh, the vinyl that I had listened to the whole uh, thing on vinyl uh, in preparation uh, for this episode. And yeah, no, it's certainly a fun time. Um, so the way that we do ratings for the show is that we give a rating for the movie overall score out of 10. And then we give a rating for uh, how well the marketing did at representing the movie. Uh, so I'm going to go first for the rating for the movie. I think I've I've brought up that like, yeah, I'm not really a fan of this movie. I've gone back and forth uh, a couple of times over the years where it's like, oh, I think I, I hate it and it's stupid. And then I've gone to like, ah, you know what? It's it's kind of breezy and like, you know, inconsequential and stupid. But it's it's you know, it's it's watchable and it's enjoyable in that aspect. But I think this most recent watch, like really watching it from like, you know, a marketing like angle and like all like the brand recognition and stuff like that. I, I really did like kind of see through it and I'm like, wow, this is kind of like exactly what everyone thinks about Space Jam 2. Like it, all of that is present in the first movie. It's a lot more egregious and a lot more a lot more dirty in Space Jam 2. But I'm like, all of those aspects are present in the first one. I think that it's it's more of a basketball movie than it is a cartoon movie. And it, uh, it's and I feel like. If you're more of a Looney Tunes fan, there's a there's there's some stuff that, you know, you can gain enjoyment from. Like there's some goofy cartoon segments, but like not a lot. A lot of the comedy doesn't really like, you know, hit hard for me. 
And I think that like most of the movie just kind of being like a Michael Jordan vanity project is like if, if you're more of a Michael Jordan fan, like it, it is kind of the closest thing to like, I guess, a Michael Jordan biopic that we're going to get. Um, I mean, who knows? In like a couple of years, they might down the line, they might do it. And if they do, they better include uh, Space Jam in that in that Oscar winning movie whenever they end up making that. But yeah, overall, I think for the movie, I think I'm going to land on a four out of ten because I think that it we've grown over like yeah it's objectively like it's kind of a bad movie like it's not really that great it's it's enjoyable it's watchable it's very breezy like it doesn't feel like it drags at all which i appreciate but overall like i uh, i think that it's like you know it's not i don't have that nostalgic connection to it and i don't really find a lot of enjoyment going back to it and and i feel like whenever i have gone back to it i my opinion of it just kind of diminishes ever so slightly every time so i feel like I've got my space gym fill for now. Uh, but what about you? For me, and we've gone over this a little bit, I like it as an 8 out of 10, but for obviously personal reasons, objectively, it's probably closer to a 6 out of 10. You know, if I w- was being super objective about it. But like, I, you know, there's just aspects of this movie that it will forever be that movie for me in that regard. And it's the movie where when you think about crossover with crossover, these ideas rarely work. Like there's rumors of Fast and Furious crossing over with Jurassic Park next year or the year after or whatever. Oh no. Right? And like like these are ideas within that context where it's like, I don't know if these two things will mix, but given what we got out of Space Jam, it did have decent in terms of putting those things together, I think. Now Mike is completely right in the fact that Who Framed Roger Rabbit is miles and miles better than this movie in terms of the performances, in terms of the storyline and all that, and in terms of the technology even. But like for what it is and what it is being a giant commercial, it is half decent. It gets watchable by kids of today and yesterday, you know? Mm -hmm. No, and I at least, uh, like I said, it's almost unfair to compare this movie to Roger Rabbit. And I, I feel, I feel even kind of bad even doing it earlier on, but it, it is kind of a thing where it's like the reason why they went ahead and made it this way is because they saw the success of Roger Rabbit and like the ability to do it through there. But I also guess that like, you know, they, they also didn't account for like the difficulty uh, that making that type of movie can do because you even hear like Ivan Reitman and, talking about like how like all that was like you know the biggest mistake like making a movie like this is going to kill you so it's like yeah that it really does like you know i guess show like the the uh the short-sightedness or like the the difficulty of making a movie like this but it's like they did kind of see like the possibility for like that movie to exist because something like roger rabbit exists so it it it, bringing them up in, in comparison is warranted but it's also like it's almost like they're on a completely different playing fields almost and for the marketing for the movie, so we're rating like how well the marketing did at selling the movie that it was, how accurate it was and how well it, it sold uh, the movie that it ended up being. And I think that for this one, it's going to sound a little hard to say that it's that I think that, that I'm going to give the marketing a higher score than the movie. But I'm going to give the, the marketing a seven out of ten, because I think that uh, all of these supplemental things around the movie, like the, the selling of it, like all of the the products the the Toon Squad merch and like the Hair Jordan shoes, like I said, like I think that those apparel are really nice looking. And I think that you could like, you know, 
you could wear them as like you know like they're expensive high commodity items and stuff like that and like the website being like you know circulated keeping the movie like you know in conversation um and all of the 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 nike ads like i and the original nike ads like the hair jordan aerospace uh ads are really fun and creative and entertaining and i think that uh you could still like appreciate those as like you know singular like you know pieces of like entertainment like not connected to the movie and so i think and also the movie is exactly what it's selling like it's a big michael jordan nba crossover with cartoons there's nothing misleading about it in there it's exact although i do think that where i would take off points in it is that i it is it is much less of a Looney Tunes movie than it is a basketball movie. So in that aspect, if you're, I I feel like even as a kid, like if I was watching this, I'm like, there's not enough cartoons in it, but, and that's, I mean, I guess you could also say the same thing about the second movie, but I think that the marketing has done like all of the heavy lifting in keeping this movie relevant because it was kind of just like this kind of fluke, weird idea birth out of like 90s entertainment culture and it's only through like you know keeping like all the products and marketing and stuff keeping like you know memory of the movie alive which is why they saw it like you know profitable to like go ahead with like making a second one 25 years later so i think in that aspect the the marketing has like you know worthy aspects although it is very brazen and very you know corporately uh endowed but i that's i mean that's what it that's what it is so what do you have to say about this one i think in terms of the marketing i'd give it a slightly higher score than you i'd give it an eight out of ten mm-hmm. matching it on a par with my score for the movie and i the reason i say that is because it's 25 years later it's to 2021 and people are still like people who grew up with the movie especially basketball players who play basketball still reference that movie as being a starting point for them, you know, and it still gets referenced a ton in culture and like in terms of Michael Jordan's overall legacy, obviously he is the greatest basketball player of all time, but people who don't know anything about basketball associate him with space jam. Right. So like, even if you've never seen a single basketball game or give a shit about basketball whatsoever, you know who Michael Jordan is through space jam, you know, and that's like, the strength of the marketing of this movie and strength of what it did culturally, the significance of what they accomplished with the marketing of this movie to a global audience that doesn't necessarily watch basketball. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think that's why on top of everything that you said is why the marketing for this movie was so effective in what it did in creating this lasting legacy. Yep. So that's uh, our episode on Space Jam from 1996. Uh, very happy that I could be joined by you, Nate, to talk about this movie and have all of your uh, insights into basketball and sports and everything that you brought to this episode. I think that uh, really had a fun time doing this. Uh, where can people find you on the Internet? I'm on the Internet at Nate the Cyborg on Twitter, and I think that's the same on Letterboxd. And I also write for beforethecyborgs.com along with you, which is revitalizing this week. I don't know when this episode comes out, but probably by the time this episode comes out, we will have new content up on there because the movies are back, baby. And that means we're doing reviews and coverage and festival coverage and all the things that you like. Hell yeah. And you could find me 
at RMR Cyborg Mike on Twitter and Instagram. And I also write for beforethecyborgs.com. You can take a look at some of the uh, articles that I've written in the past that are on that website. And I'm very much looking forward to getting a start up on doing uh, the coverage there again. You could find uh, Cinemarketing's uh, social medias. Uh, we're at CinemarketPod on Twitter and uh, Cinemarketing Podcast on Instagram. On the Instagram is where I post uh, a lot of uh, fun, um, nostalgic uh, commercials and memorabilia and products of the movies that we end up talking about on this show. So you could go there and uh, take a look at all the stuff that I post on there. And uh, for next time, uh, we haven't decided uh, yet what the next movie is that we're going to be doing. But by the time that I have this episode edited and ready to go, I'll probably have uh, an idea of what it is. So we'll be playing the teaser for whatever movie that I decide uh, to play uh, to cover for next time. We'll be playing at the end of this episode. So uh, again, I just want to thank my guest, uh, Nate, for signing for uh, signing on to this episode. And uh, we'll see you next time.